0: Ready? Born, ready.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Saba Long, host of Where the Party At, your political podcast. This is our Who Runs Atlanta series where we're giving you in depth interviews with the candidates who are aspiring to run our city. Today, I'm sitting down with Antonio Brown, candidate for mayor of Atlanta. Antonio is the District 3 Atlanta City Council member and I would say he's probably the most progressive person in the race for mayor. Antonio was elected to the council in 2019 as a political newcomer, beating out a pretty established candidate. He is also currently the only person on the council who represents the LGBT community. The big question on Antonio's candidacy for mayor is, is Atlanta really that progressive? All right, Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you.
0: It's great to see you as well.
1: All right, we're going to start with our favorite segment. It's called How Atlanta Are You? I know you haven't been in Atlanta a long time, but we'll see just how Atlanta you are. All right.
0: Oh, Lord. (laughs) I'm scared it is because I may not be Atlanta at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So it's a Friday night. Pretend like it's not a pandemic. Where does where does Antonio go to party? What's his Atlanta spot? I don't party.
0: I don't go out. I'm I'm very much a homebody.
1: So you're not on edgewood? You're no,
0: definitely negative. No. All
1: right. So that's not very Atlanta. No. All right, next.
0: <laughs>
1: Friday no, night. I'm pretty At when home. I'm not
0: working, I'm introverted. I'm pretty much in the house. Uh I, I created my home to look like a hotel. It to feel like a hotel. And um, you know, it's kind of like my sanctuary.
1: All right. Wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> right. What's your favorite Atlanta neighborhood? Well, you know,
0: I love Howell Station. It's a community in my district, but I've lived in the Atlantic Station area for eight years. It's the only place I've lived since I've been in Atlanta. Um but I, I I love so many different neighborhoods. Um, just one. Oh, Howell Station is one of my favorites and why? I love the community. I love how they come together as a community. They have events, they do like uh, tastings in the neighborhood where everyone travels to different residents' house and and it's just the experience and and I believe the culture of the community there uh to me is' it's really cool.
1: So imagine you're mayor. I know you've imagined that before. And Jay-Z and Beyonce call you up and say, hey, we're coming to Atlanta. We want to have dinner with you. Where do you take them? (laughs) Not your house.
0: (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm vegetarian. And um, I'm allergic to a million things. But I would probably take them to Cafe Sunflower on Peachtree. It's a staple for me. The owners are amazing. They've been around forever in this city. And there's a lot of history there.
1: Tell me about that.
0: Well, you know, you, you have this family that moved to Atlanta, opened up a vegan restaurant when there was no slutty vegan. And really was, was kind of ostracized by the community because there were no vegans in the area. And they have been around, I think, about 50 years now. And I just think it's just incredible. And they do a lot of work in the community. Just an in, cr- incredible family that, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to support when I go and eat at Cafe Sunflower.
1: Who is your favorite Atlanta artist? And it doesn't have to be a musician. It could be a painter, uh, a dancer. Um,
0: I would say Little Baby. He, he, he is someone I've had direct experiences with and someone I, I know his spirit and he's just a good person. And we have a great relationship and I love what he represents for Atlanta. Like he he doesn't shy away from his past. Um he doesn't pretend to be a perfect person, um, but he cares about community and he cares about the people and his actions are a reflection of that.
1: So it doesn't have to be a little baby, but if there's like one song that you're like, this song for me signifies Atlanta," what is that?
0: Um, what song would that be? I'm thinking in my head a ludicrous song. Um, you know, I, I can't think of the name, but it, it plays
1: in different area codes.
0: No, okay.
1: I, uh, that, definitely no,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, this ludicrous song—it was on Mirror Bottoms. Did a kind of welcome to it. Oh, welcome, welcome to, Atlanta. to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There so, you go.
1: Uh, you were gonna. I knew you were gonna get there.
0: Yeah, definitely wasn't the first one you suggested.
1: <laughs> hey, we got three area codes now in Atlanta. So uh, actually,
0: we think we have more than that. Now. We have more than that. Yes, hey, there you go. Yes.
1: All right. Yeah. So uh, that that wraps up. How Atlanta are you? I
0: like this. I like that part of the segment. Good, good.
1: It's cool. I know you didn't eat chickens. So I wasn't going to ask you about flats versus drums. The folks who we are targeting in this podcast are probably a lot of people that you identify with. Um, younger, may not have been have been engaged in politics before, but see kind of what's happening at the national level, at the local level, and feel the need to pay a little bit more attention but don't want to have to read the paper every day. Right. Right. And so we want to give them just a taste of what's happening and hope that we encourage them to pay even more attention. Um, So how would you introduce yourself to someone who may have heard your name, but doesn't know who you are, what you do? Who's Antonio Brown?
0: I would say Antonio Brown is someone that, uh, you know, grew up in poverty most of my life with my parents in and out of prison. Uh, never went to college. Uh, I dropped out of high school at 15 and never went back. Uh, started working at Kroger sacking groceries, uh, to make sure my brothers and sisters have food on the table. Cause my parents were in and out of prison. Um, I overcame all of that adversity in my life. And I started a fashion brand called level 13. That's actually what brought me to Atlanta from New York city. And had a ton of success. We launched into Bloomingdale's nationwide, sold out. Um, I built the company with Jason Derulo, um, which was an interesting experience to say the least. And then in the process of launching into Bloomingdale's, I created a college curriculum called the Small Business Entrepreneurship Program. And uh, I started shopping it around to different colleges and universities. And when they found out that I didn't have a college degree um, they started to kind of drag their feet. They they started to lose interest because they didn't believe that their students would be receptive to a curriculum from someone that never went to college. So I started at that time, I had put the curriculum down and uh, I got noticed that Nordstrom's wanted to carry my brand. So I did a tour with Nordstrom's uh, nationwide, sold out. Uh, had much success. And then I got a call from the art institutes and they wanted to adapt my program into all their schools as a required course. And in the process of doing that, uh, you know, I I did an evaluation on their institutions and found out that somewhere around 30 to 40 percent of their students were coming to school hungry every day. So I told the colleges the only way they could license my curriculum is if they addressed the problem within the institutions. So they uh, partnered with me and we started building food pantries on the grounds of their colleges across the United States. And then from that work, I was honored by State Representative Erica Thomas in the State House with a proclamation for my work in education and community and then was asked to run for city council. Uh, Never thought in a million years I would ever be on city council. When I ran for city council, I didn't even understand what they did. To be honest i mean i didn't grow up in politics i grew up jehovah witness uh, majority of my life and never participated in the political process uh the first person i ever voted for was mayor keisha lance bottoms i didn't even vote for obama uh so you know my experience was very limited in this space and given that i didn't have a college education i didn't even know what legislation was coming on to council so Uh, this whole process I've now been on council, uh, over two years and I've since passed over 123 pieces of legislation, probably more legislation than majority of the council members combined. And some of the most comprehensive legislation the city has ever seen. Uh, I I'm the council member that passed the legislation on the community loan fund. What is that? It's the fund credit disadvantage, small businesses in the city of Atlanta. So if you're a small business owner in this city and you can't qualify for traditional financing, you could apply for this loan and you can borrow up to $50,000 and there's a fixed interest rate. There's a deferment on your first payment, and then you can use up to thirty thousand of the fifty thousand to pay down your personal debt that you leveraged to sustain your business. So it's never been done before. It's an incredible. And that's program. active
1: in the city right now.
0: With Invest Atlanta, someone can go now and apply for the loan. Um, I'm I'm also the council member that passed uh, the legislation to disallow the congregation of poverty in low income communities. Through Would the discrim- just
1: explain what that means. So
0: Atlanta has a, a problem with congregating Black poor people in this city. When you go into certain areas of this city, you see that most, most times, especially in areas like English Avenue, Vine City, Bankhead, most of the people that are in these communities before they begin to gentrify are Black poor people. And the way that that happens is, is that if you're on a... If your source of income to qualify to get into an apartment or a home or whatever is through a Section 8 voucher, they limit where you can take that Section 8 voucher. And landlords, apartment associations limit who's willing to accept those Section 8 vouchers. So what happens is the only places you can use them are in low-income communities that are predominantly Black. So now you're congregating folks in conditions— that are not conducive of success in environments that are not conducive of success. So, my legislation disallowed that from continuing to happen. So, if you have a Section 8 voucher, you should be able to take that Section 8 voucher anywhere in the city you want to go.
1: But so you're saying the person who's on a Section 8 voucher can take that voucher to Buckhead?
0: Absolutely. Midtown. But where
1: in Buckhead would they actually be able to live?
0: Well, technically, the Atlanta Apartment Association. Uh, well, one, the voucher, the market rate on the voucher is substantial. Like these are not just vouchers that limit someone to paying three, four hundred dollars a month. No, these vouchers are standard market vouchers that are issued by the Atlanta Housing Authority. So they have the capacity to really go wherever is within the means of them sustaining within that voucher. So if that's Buckhead, if that's Midtown, 044. But what is the
1: reality of that, right? What's I mean, the there's reality people of, in Buckhead now with Section to... A
0: vouchers. There are people in Buckhead and Midtown with Section A vouchers, absolutely, currently, right now. But the, the issue is, is that you have private landlords, you have apartment associations that don't support these measures. So they create barriers for these individuals to be able to take their vouchers and enter into- you know, housing or whatever it is. So is there a
1: way to incentivize those landlords to say you're, there's a problem. You're not helping us fix the problem. Here's how we're going to encourage you to help us.
0: Absolutely. And it's already being done. So the Atlanta housing authority has several incentives for folks. I mean, there's this misconception that if you have a section eight voucher that you're going to destroy the property, which is a complete, it's, it's a lie. It's statistically, folks with Section 8 vouchers don't damage their the homes. Don't you know? There's a very small number of folks that actually experience that. Um, but because of that misnomer, the Atlanta Housing Authority put a fund together where if you have a Section 8 voucher and you go to a landlord, the landlord for any damages that's done on the in the unit the landlord can request reimbursement through this fund. That's just one of the things they've done. I mean, they've incentivized landlords on the technical side of being able to process the applications for these individuals. I mean, there's a ton of things that have been set up to make it easier for landlords to participate in the program.
1: Has the city or Atlanta Housing ever done a comparison of, there's a perception you just alluded to, that folks on Section 8 housing are going to treat that property in a different manner than someone who's paying market rate. So has the city or the apartment associations ever done an assessment to compare if that's indeed true? Yeah, so there, there are
0: statistics right now. Where you a can, market rate person is, yes.
1: how they will treat a property versus how someone in Section 8 will.
0: Yes, there are statistics now. I don't think that Atlanta Housing Authority are, are the author of those statistics. I think they were done long before Atlanta Housing Authority even... Started to incentivize landlords, uh, but there are uh, stats that do a comparison and and do show you that, you know, that that's false. That folks on Section Eight vouchers, they're actually normally the ones that do a better job of upkeeping a unit and doing what they're supposed to do because they're too afraid of being kicked absolutely. out. Absolutely. So that legislation was huge for me. Because, you know, I grew up in poverty and I watched as my mom was discriminated against trying to get housing so that we could survive and and sustain our lives. Um,
1: so you mentioned that you've authored over 100 pieces of legislation, having zero legislative background or experience. How did you do that?
0: You know, I learned like I'm a, I'm a pretty quick learner and. I started to ask questions, and I started to shadow some of the uh, legislative staff and, and ask them to show me, like, hey, how do I write legislation? What does this mean? Why do we do it this way? And I started asking questions, and, you know, I, I made it a point that if I was going to be in this position, I was going to be effective, and I was going to do the work. And part of that required me to also learn and understand what the work was. I mean, I I passed one of the most comprehensive pieces of legislation around um, public safety. I mean, I'm the council member that authored the establishment of the Department of Public Safety and Wellness, which would call for a division of non-emergency response, as well as a commissioner in which the chief of police and chief of fire would report to.
1: Is that funded?
0: The study is funded, yes. So right now, the way that the city operates You study the establishment of the department and because we're legislators and we don't have the executive authority to stand up the department, then the mayor makes a determination on establishing the department. So right now we're in the process of the study and um, I think there's over 40 recommendations within the study of how we can reimagine public safety in the city of Atlanta. And I I think it's incredible because it wasn't just myself. I mean, it was a collaborative effort of so many different entities on both sides of the spectrum, from defund the police to fund the police folks all meeting in the middle that allowed this legislation to pass. And it passed unanimously on council.
1: So how do you think you've been able to get folks, you know, City council is nonpartisan, right? You don't register as a Republican or Democrat to run for city council. There are some Dem- some Democrats and some Republicans right. on the council. How have you been <clears throat> able to get them uh, to align to what you're trying to do? You know, um, I think
0: Councilmember Archibong said it best to me one time. She said, Antonio, you force us to address things that maybe we were too afraid to address before you came on to council. You you call us to the floor and you you incite conversation that is necessary if we're gonna truly move Atlanta forward. And you know, I think that's just who I am. Like I'm a very direct person. I'm a very transparent person and I'm the type of individual I lead through my experiences, right? Like, you know, I don't, I don't have this frat mentality where if, you know, because I've been hazed that I feel like you should be hazed too. I believe that if I have been through something that has burdened me, then no one else should have to go through that because I've already been through it. So we need to change how we do things So that no one else has to go through it too. And that's always been my mentality and that's how I've led on council um, with everything I've done. I mean literally outside of the public safety legislation, Georgia State University for the first time in the history of this city is studying a $250 million workforce development bond that I authored and passed unanimously on council, which would create career trade opportunities for residents, paying them $20 an hour plus health insurance. And it's so incredible because the component to sustain it would have no budgetary implications and it would allow the city to create thousands of jobs year over year.
1: So why don't you think the legislation that you've been introducing why wasn't it introduced before
0: you don't know what you don't know and and I say that all the time right because it's like when I came onto council and I started to speak about homelessness well if you've never been homeless before and you've never had to experience what it's like to be homeless before which is why uh, kudos to Covenant House, which is a nonprofit here in Atlanta that has a sleep out where they invite elected officials and corporations to sleep out so that they can see for themselves what it's like to be homeless. They
1: actually spend a night on the street as a homeless yes. individual.
0: Yeah, this would this is my second year we've done that. And it's been incredible. But I So say you
1: think the council is just removed from the people?
0: Absolutely without a doubt. If Cop City's vote wasn't a direct correlation to that fact, I don't know what else is.
1: So let's talk about Cop City. Sure. There were 17 hours of public comment, which I think is the, fir- the most amount, that at least that I'm ever aware of, of people leaving public comment uh, speaking for or against a particular piece of legislation.
0: The first one was the bill that I introduced for Rayshard Brooks. The Rayshard Brooks bill was the first bill to result in sixteen hours of public comment. So, Cop City was was the first at seventeen hours.
1: Yeah. Got it. Um, sixty something percent, 70. percent of 70 the folks plus percent of the comment was against the in legislation. Opposition. Yep. However, it passed overwhelmingly. Ten votes, ten to four. Right. You need eight votes. Uh, And it got to 10. Why do you think it passed?
0: Well, I think that unfortunately, uh, city council has been beholden to corporate interests, political interests for such a long time that they've become disconnected from the reality of the voice of the people. And some are scared. I mean, I think AJC wrote in an article or a supporter report. One of them said something that they interviewed one of the council members and they said that if they voted in support of the legislation that the police wouldn't come out. It and, was
1: Sean Keenan yeah, who said that. That's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, that is insane to There me. was a fear that.
0: Yeah, come on. We are sitting city council members. I wish they would. I wish they would not service my area. I, we will have serious problems in the city of Atlanta.
1: That's But, but think, okay. So let's say the cops say, <laughs> District 3, you're on your own. That's, they can't. I wish they
0: would. And but, but you got what, this what on what podcast. Could, what
1: could you do? What could I'm you actually do Let as a council you, member? Let me tell you,
0: we will hold them accountable. But what does that mean? That means we will hold the chief of police accountable to so you, addressing this situation. First of all, this is the... The thing, they can't do that, period. We are legislators. We're equal branches of government of the mayor. So, you know, the chief of police may report into the mayor, but they answer to city council, which is why they come before our body and our committee. So, But
1: city council can't fire, you can't fire the uh, the chief.
0: No, you, you can't, but you can put forth legislation to make recommendations to make it very difficult for them. Absolutely, you can. 100 percent. And we've done it. And we can do it again.
1: I'm sure you talked to cops. Do you think Atlanta cops would seriously not patrol?
0: No. I told you that's bullshit. No. That was their scapegoat. That was their way to get out of just admitting to the real reason why they did not vote in opposition of Cop City. I, so you I,
1: think the real reason they didn't vote and against the legislation was because they're afraid of corporate interest.
0: I think that I don't. I can't speak for what their real reason is, but I can tell you it wasn't that. It wasn't that they were in fear of the Atlanta Police Department. Was something that I know that they would not do. I mean, I've had some of the biggest disagreements.
1: Do you think with if APD? it were not a mayoral election, they would vote different? If this weren't a mayoral election year, and the council wasn't all, also up for a re-election? No.
0: I think it didn't matter, and let me tell you why a lot of them this vote hurt them. They lost a lot of support in Supp- Southeast Atlanta and East Atlanta. I mean they uh, the liberals, the progressives in this city, they lost a lot the even the nonprofit, the green space organizations they lost a lot of support voting in favor of moving the prison I mean the the training facility forward um so I don't think it had anything to do with the mayor's race or the city council race
1: what about the argument that if you vote against it you're anti-cop
0: well I voted against it and I'm not anti-cop I have friends that are on the police force tell me more Uh, I mean listen I I have no issues with the police I've I mean, I've said this publicly so many times. I've never been the council member that's stated I wanted to defund the police. The Rayshard Brooks bill was reallocating $73 million within the police budget to resources like a non-emergency response unit, like you know, services to address mental health and substance abuse issues and the unsheltered population in the city. Things that we've been struggling to get a hold of I know at least since I've been on council and even before.
1: So what do you say for folks who a council member voted in favor of your Rayshard Brooks legislation, right, but then voted in favor of the police training center?
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny because the same ones that voted for Cop City are the same ones that voted against the Rayshard Brooks bill.
1: So, what do you make of that?
0: That the council members, like Councilmember Archibong and Councilmember Ide and myself, we're always aligned with the people. Always. We're always aligned with doing the right thing. Cop City was not the right thing. It wasn't because we were building a police training facility or a police and fire training facility. It was the brokenness within the process. It was the lack of transparency. It was the fact that the Atlanta City design had already had plans for the old Atlanta prison farm land, and now we were going against those plans to give it to the Atlanta Police Foundation. It was a fact that there had never even been done, the, the, we don't even have a study on EPA or EDA for the condition of the land, yet we're entering into a 50-year lease with the Atlanta Police Foundation. This is a lot of the reason why I publicly stated when I become mayor, I am rescinding the agreement between the city of Atlanta and the Atlanta Police Foundation. We will not be moving forward with the agreement with me as mayor.
1: Okay, so Antonio Brown as mayor, let's break that down. You were at the bottom of the pack. How do you win this thing?
0: By the people. This race is not going to come down to how much money you, you've you raised. This race is not going to come down to how many times people see you on TV. This race is going to come down to connecting with the people. I, I would rather knock on doors than be on the TV screen. Are you doing rather, that? Are you knocking absolutely, on doors? Every day. Every day we're knocking. We've knocked on thousands of doors already, and we will continue to do so. You win races, not with yard signs, not being on TV. You win races by connecting to the people. Something that I believe folks in this city have forgotten about. And they think that celebrities win races. They think that the same people that, been voting for him in the past, when races. That's not how it works. And I know because I won my race as a city council member with all the odds against me in a race where I had the former mayor, the current mayor, and nine city uh, city council members all endorsing my opponent. And I still kicked his ass.
1: So do you think you actually have the resources to knock on doors and get your message out without going on TV and competing against folks who are doing $500,000 TV buys. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I have a strong, see, the other thing to this is, you know, who are we targeting, right? You know, who I'm targeting is completely different than probably who some of these other candidates are. I'm not going to break that down just because I'm not going to put my business out there for <laughs> for folks to be, you know, listening. So, so
1: you speculation might be that you're targeting a younger, like 18 to 40 or so demo. Is that well, fair? Well, I mean,
0: if that's what they speculate. but Is that what a I'm fair
1: say- speculation?
0: I think, yeah, I think it's pretty fair. Okay. Absolutely. The
1: 18 to 40 demo historically does not turn out in Atlanta elections. Absolutely
0: not. But guess what?
1: How the do electorate you get them has out?
0: doubled the electorate has gone from 92,000 people to 166,000 people that participated in both the senatorial race and as well as the governor's race here in Atlanta and the presidential race so you have folks new voters that have been energized that are mad as hell and want to see change see the thing i think folks lose sight of is is that Atlanta has existed in this bubble. And I I was I was speaking to Stacy Abrams before I came into this race. We talked and I told her I said folks keep talking about how you turned Georgia, Georgia purple. Well, purple, but you know, and how th- that that is your victory. And I'm like, "No, what she did, she ignited the young vote. She empowered them to believe that their voices and their vote mattered because before that, they did not believe they had a chance. But when they went out and voted and Warnock and Ossoff won, that's what they needed to energize them to realize, like, wow, I have power and I'm going to take back my power and I'm going to wield it and I'm going to put folks in office that are truly a representation of me. And that is what I believe, this is just my own opinion, is going to happen in this election. And not only do I believe it, but as I'm knocking on doors and actually speaking to voters, I'm not sitting and doing these polls that are going around where they're polling 500 people, which we've seen numerous times before. Polls mean nothing. We saw it in the presidential race. We saw it in, 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 in even in the governor race. I mean, polls don't mean. At the end of the day. So what means something, in my opinion, is connecting with the voters and listening to them and understanding And what are they them.
1: telling you that they want? They want change. What does that mean? Well, change. I mean, o- Obama said change. That's this nebulous word. Well, I think change
0: for the voters in this city mean that they want a they sustainable living. They want to, they, they, they are tired of surviving in Atlanta and they want to be in a position where they can thrive and prosper like the very few people in this city have already been able to do so. They want, I, I, I was at this one young lady's house. She wants to start a small business, right? You know, she's completely disenfranchised from city government. She doesn't even understand how to access resources or opportunity. She tried to apply for funding for her small business traditionally, and it didn't work. You know, she's an example of folks that have existed in this city for a very long time that have never participated in any of the resources or opportunities that should have been made available for them.
1: And so why do you think that those folks don't know those resources are available for them? Is it the city is not letting, telling them? What is it?
0: Yeah, I think that's the reason. The city's
1: just not communicating. But
0: think about this. We have an MPU system in this city.
1: Spell that out for
0: folks. Neighborhood planning unit system that was started by the late Maynard Jackson in 1973 to basically allow communities and residents to participate in decisions made within city government. And this system has been around forever. If you take the number of folks that participate in this system, it's less than 1% of the entire population in this city. Now, if that doesn't scream disenfranchisement, I don't know what does. If that doesn't, I mean, of course she doesn't know about the resources that are made available to them. And in addition to that, I think the city does a absolute terrible job of disseminating information to its residents. One of the things I'm doing as mayor is establishing a centralized office of communication for all of the city agencies. And in this centralized office of communications, the number one focus is going to be addressing disenfranchisement in Atlanta. We are going to coordinate every effort possible to ensure every resident, all 500,000 residents in this city, have access to all of the information for resources, programs, and anything else that could help them thrive and prosper in this city.
1: So tell me one thing the city is getting right.
0: One thing that the city is getting right. Damn, that's, that's sad. I can't just say it. Let me see. What is one thing that the city is getting right?
1: I think that's going to be the promo right there.
0: (laughs) I mean, honestly, I just, I mean, we, we, public safety is a disaster in this city.
1: Why is that? And, And before you answer that question, everyone's saying crime is the number one issue in this election. I want to ask you that. Is crime the number one issue in this election? Not at all. What is?
0: Generational poverty. Generational poverty that has gone unaddressed in this city for decades, where the establishments, both white and black and in between in this city, have established these facades and have funded these facades, have put hundreds of millions of dollars in protecting these facades. Like Atlanta is a black mecca of the South or a city too busy to hate. How, how can we be those things when you have black poor people that have, they have lived in poverty, their parents have lived in poverty, their grandparents have lived in poverty in this city. That you, you can't have a black Mecca. You can't have a black Mecca when you have people struggling to survive, killing each other because their schools are underfunded, their communities are under-resourced, they have no access to healthcare, no access to opportunities, no access to jobs, This is not the black mecca, but we can be, but we have an opportunity to be. And when you talk about folks are talking about crime being the number one issue, I don't give a damn how many officers you put on the streets of Atlanta It's not going to decrease crime. I don't care how many training facilities you build in Atlanta, it will not decrease crime until we start to address the root cause of the issues that's driving crime. You're never going to cure the cycle of crime, period.
1: So the root cause takes time. It takes time to fix generational poverty. Yeah, so we've had 40 you... years. I get that. And we've so had black four, leadership for 40 year, years. In four years as mayor, how do you tackle that problem?
0: Well, my mission as mayor is, you know— and, and I think it not only tackles the problem, but it creates. So I, I believe we need to create a socioeconomic shift in the economic class system in Atlanta. So if you're living in poverty in Atlanta... Part of the reason why I came up with the $250 million workforce development bond and the career trade program is because if you can give these folks, if you can teach them a career trade, not a regular trade paying them $10, $11 an hour, but a career trade that they can grow in and you can give them a job and a job that comes with health insurance, you can help matriculate them into the working middle class, right? Because we talk about housing all the time. But if they don't have a job to sustain housing, then what, what are we speaking about? So if you can equip these residents living in poverty with a living wage job, with resources, right? Because like myself, growing up in poverty and experiencing certain traumas, you know, <clears throat> it's hard to address those things. And I've carried them with me my entire life, you know, through a number of things I've been through. So if we can provide them wraparound services and support with that living wage job and that health insurance, that healthcare, to be able to sustain them, we can move them into the working middle class. For the individuals existing right now in the working middle class that are working two and three jobs and are trying to survive on supplemental income, if we can help them reach their dreams and aspirations of becoming small business owners or entrepreneurs by providing them access to capital to launch these businesses, we can start supporting an even greater base for folks because small businesses are the heart of our economy. They hire everyday people. And what this does is it creates a thriving ecosystem where it's inclusive of all of its residents, right? Because if you're if you already have a small business and you're already a corporation and you're already doing really well, we can help expand your organizations so that you can also contribute to this ecosystem and you're not giving anyone a handout. You're giving folks a hand up and allowing them to matriculate through an ecosystem where everybody is sustaining and no one is taking from anyone that is what i want to do as mayor so and i've you, already laid the foundation to do it
1: so you mentioned there's there's been 40 years of black leadership in this city has black leadership failed black people in the city
0: absolutely 100% that is not even a question
1: so should black people be looking for maybe a white mayor
0: well you know i you know i don't want to racialize it in that way right I can only say that black leadership has failed black people in this city because that's what we've had in this city since 1973 is black leadership. And you have black people that are still living in poverty. And a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of folks in my in the district I represent, they've been here through it all. Like but they've been through you think, these administrations. Don't you think
1: black folks in the city would hold a white mayor to account in a way that they'll never hold a black mayor?
0: Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't kind of engage in that kind of rhetoric just because I think it's very divisive. Um, and it, it kind of segregates us into saying that, Hey, aren't we already segregated as a city? We are, but we've got, at some point, we've got to come back together, right? At some point we've got to unite and, and I, and that's part of the reason why I have these very direct and, and transparent conversations about my belief system around the city of Atlanta and the history of the city of Atlanta because I think that if we're going to ever move forward and bring people together to truly make Atlanta this great international city that we want it to be, then we've got to talk about the problems in a very real way so we can bring them to the forefront because it's the only way we're gonna truly be able to address them. If we keep sweeping them under the rug and acting like they don't exist because we try to protect this facade that we've been protecting for decades in this city, we're never gonna move forward. So as much as I sit and I I, I speak about we've had black leadership in this city and, and black leadership has failed black people in this city, I speak from a basis of, yes, but we can, we can do better. We can correct these wrongs, but first we have to admit to them. First, we have to be willing and, and be receptive to recognizing that we failed black people in the city of Atlanta. These are grounds the late Dr. Martin Luther King marched, and the very people in the communities he lived are struggling to survive every day. How does that make sense?
1: So is it fair to say Atlanta's is not a very progressive city,
0: hmm.
1: or progressive in name only?
0: I think we're progressive in. I, I, I think I think we're progressive in name only. Honestly, I think residents in this city are very progressive. There are a ton of residents in this city that are progressive and and do believe in progressive movements. I mean, there are movement builders in this city that have worked tirelessly to move Atlanta into the future, to move Atlanta into a, to becoming a city that's inclusive of all its residents. But unfortunately, the leadership in this city has not always been progressive.
1: So if you're elected mayor, you would perhaps be one of the more progressive mayors Atlanta has seen. Uh, on the other side of the aisle, you have Governor Kemp, who will likely be reelected. How do you, as a progressive mayor, work with someone who's <laughs> extremely conservative?
0: I like how you said he will likely be reelected. Um, so Governor Kemp and I have a great relationship. I've spoken publicly about our relationship. We text, we communicate, he responds to me. I don't have issues with him. We don't agree and align on a lot of things. But when I text him, he always responds back to me, you know. um, How did that relationship start? uh, I think it started around the social justice movement. When, you know, I was one of the first elected officials that stepped out in front of the social justice movement in the city of Atlanta. And I think it was the time I had brought a march together of about 4,000 people. And his team reached out to me and said that Governor Kemp wanted to have a conversation with me. They reached out to me and um, we had an amazing conversation. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I didn't grow up in politics. I don't care that you're a Republican. That means nothing to me. What I care about is how are we serving the people of this city? And, and we aligned in that area.
1: There's a saying in Atlanta, uh, it's jokingly used on social media, we full. Is Atlanta full?
0: Well, um, I don't believe we're full, no. And, And the reality is we can't be full because if we're full, then that means our tax base is tapped and at capacity And we've got to grow this tax base in this city because if we're going to truly expand Atlanta into the future, then we've got to grow the tax base. And the way that you grow the tax base a lot of times is being able to, which is building density, right? That's why density is a huge conversation right now in the city of Atlanta around zoning of how do you take single family neighborhoods and and grow the density in these areas? Is it through duplexes? Is it through townhomes? How do we fit in more housing to house the people that are unhoused, but also create opportunities for more people to move into the city?
1: So what's your plan as it relates to affordable housing? And how do you define affordable housing?
0: Well, so this this needs to be made clear, right? I think there's different forms of affordable housing, right? Affordable housing is not just a 30% or less AMI, right? What's an AMI? uh, Area median income. So basically, if you go into an area like my district, like English Avenue or Vine City, um, you see a lot of affordable housing at 30% or less of the area median income. But that's because the income in that area the average income is nineteen thousand dollars a year, right? So folks don't have the capacity to to afford a standard market rate rent, right? So affordability is different; it's relative, right? And I think that there's there's different components to affordability. But one of the first things I would do as mayor is hire, well, budget and hire. Uh, a chief housing officer. And what will they do? They will work with all of the city government agencies that have been operating in silos in this city for a very long time. And they will start to work on a master development plan with all of the agencies. We would evaluate, which we've already started to do on council. I recently worked to author legislation with council member Westmoreland.
1: Don't we already have that technically? Isn't that what Terry Lee's doing?
0: No. We haven't had a chief housing officer. I mean, she's not in I that- I mean, maybe
1: she's not the title of, of chief housing officer, but is she not well, working she on was. that already?
0: No, she's at the Atlanta Housing Authority now. I mean, and and I didn't see a, in, just, I didn't see any, I still saw folks operating in silos in these individual agencies. This chief housing officer is going to be responsible for the housing development of all of our city agencies, in which every CEO from Invest Atlanta to the Atlanta Housing Authority to the Beltline would report into this chief housing officer's, this chief housing officer, and work to develop a master development plan for all of the vacant land all of the dilapidated properties, because if you go around some of these districts, a lot of these properties that are sitting dilapidated are owned by our very own city agencies. And we're sitting on them with no plan of action in place, which is why I was saying earlier, Council Member Westmoreland and I authored legislation that required the city to develop an action plan to develop on the land that we have. That, that if if we are in a housing crisis, why wouldn't we take advantage of the land we own where we're not having to spend, you know, a, a large amount of money to, to obtain land for land acquisition and build on what we have and start housing folks in this city? The so
1: again, I'm going to ask you, why do you think that hasn't happened?
0: Why do I think it hasn't happened? I think Atlanta lacks vision and I think Atlanta lacks innovation. And I think Atlanta lacks ideas, right? Like you Mayor ha-
1: Bottom said that she's gonna do a billion dollars of affordable housing. But she didn't that was do her it. big idea.
0: But she didn't do it. That was a great idea, but you can have great ideas, but the execution of those ideas are just as important. I mean, she worked hella hard to get it done, you know, but, but- it it didn't happen. So you know. So if
1: she worked hard to get it done and it didn't happen, you're just saying she wasn't able to execute.
0: Well, I mean, it did not happen. Period. I don't know how else to say that. I mean, the we did not raise, we did not raise a billion dollars for affordable housing. So I don't know. Did she execute? it We didn't get it done. I mean, this and this is no shade to Mayor Bottoms, right? Because she worked. I'm sure. She moved mountains to try to make it happen. You know, I think that that goal of a billion dollars was, you know, a reach.
1: Aspirational. Yeah,
0: it was a reach. But not achievable. I'm not saying it was not achievable because she helped, she developed the plan with John Amon from the West Side Future Fund, who actually laid out how it could be done. But I think given circumstances, COVID, things happened, it didn't happen in her first term. I'm not saying it could not have happened, but again, it goes back to execution and it goes back to, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, circumstances that have happened during her administration that may have taken her off um, from, you know, may have deterred her from being able to to make that happen. But I would say a chief housing officer, I would, we just passed a $100 million housing opportunity bond. Um, the mayor has made a commitment of an additional $150 million. I would make sure that we deliver on that $150 million in additional um, bond money to help, you know, stand up affordable housing in the city of Atlanta. And I would also work to ensure that we are creating opportunities around the development of affordable housing, right? Like, I believe in modular development. I believe it's the future of housing in the city of Atlanta. Tell us
1: what modular development so is.
0: It's basically prefabricated homes made in a factory. But the technology we we've known them. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but when we when we were younger, you know, it was kind of seen as like trailer homes. But the technology has advanced so much that it's you,
1: trailer park homes. If you're Low income. It's tiny houses. If you're wealthier,
0: well, I don't think they. I don't think they look at modular anymore as trailer homes. I don't think that that's really uh, kind of how people see them now. Now technology has advanced so much that even if it's low income, you can still like. We have a a, a pilot a modular home in my district, and it's a, a lower income home but you wouldn't it's not a trailer and it looks freaking amazing and you wouldn't even know the you wouldn't even if you didn't know you would not know it was modular it looks like a regular home you wouldn't know it was prefabricated so i think modular is super important because you save on cost you save probably a half of the cost you would spend on traditional development you save half of the time you would spend to develop it traditionally it takes about eight to nine months to build. Anything. The most
1: expensive part is the shipping. Yeah. On those.
0: Yeah, but it when you offset the ship, the shipping and the time and the waste and the cost, it makes it a hell of a deal to start building modular. And that's why you see uh, a lot of corporations starting to move in the space of modular, especially as the technology continues to
1: advance. Okay. I just want to make sure we're good on that. Um, so there's a good chance. There's a few things about this election. One thing I hear consistently is there's going to be lower turnout than in previous elections. Uh, why do you think that is one, two, there's a likelihood that there will be a runoff. Who do you want to be in the runoff with?
0: So I didn't hear the first one that you heard. Um, I didn't hear anyone say that. Um we're actually thinking that the turnout may be a lot larger than it was and I mean literally the electorate has doubled in size. Um you know there's 166,000 folks that have recently voted that we are anticipating will come out. Now will all 166,000 come out? Probably not. Um you know but I do think there's going to be a I personally believe there's going to be a significant amount of folks that come out. And things like the vote for Cop City do nothing but energize this voting base and really incites them to come out. So that's one. Two, um, who would I want to be in a runoff with? I really don't care, to be honest. I don't, I'm not sitting here plotting and saying, I want to be in a runoff with this person, whoever I'm in the runoff with, I'm going to kick their ass. Game on, huh? So that's all that matters. Yeah.
1: All right. And worst case scenario, you don't make it to the runoff. Who do, do you endorse someone? Who do you endorse?
0: You know, it's a really tough question for me because this is how I look at it. The reason why I'm even in the race is because there's only one of me meaning what i believe in my values my belief system being a political outsider you know being a man of the people you know my actions being a reflection of all of those things meaning that my votes are consistent are, are consistent with my values and belief system i don't see that and i i didn't see that in the field of candidates which is why i ran originally uh, for mayor was because I'm an executive leader. Like I'm a I am an operator. I I come from a business background. I've run successful businesses in the past. I mean, I built my fashion brand from nothing into a multi-million dollar business in Atlanta. In Atlanta at that. It wasn't even a fashion brand being built in New York. In Atlanta. Um, and I saw that you know, I didn't see me in the pool of candidates, which is why I'm still in the race, right? Because I didn't need to run for mayor. I chose to run for mayor, right? Some folks in this race are running for their own reasons, right? do
1: You think they're running because they need to run for mayor?
0: <clears throat> I do in some circumstances. I think some are running out of revenge. I think some are running to preserve power. Some are running because. Do you
1: want to name names? No. Just but, checking. But.
0: He <laughs> <laughs> tried to get me crucified on a cross. They already indicted me, girl. Would you want to? <laughs> um, no, I think some are running <clears throat> to preserve power. Some are running for revenge. Some are running because there's nothing else for them to do. And they've exhausted all of their options, and this is just the next thing for them to do, right? Or they go back t- to corporate America, you know. Um, so I, I, it's interesting because that's the disheartening part of it all. If, if you, you don't know,
1: think anyone's in this for the right reasons,
0: I, I don't. I don't want to pass judgment on folks with whether their reasons are right or not. That's relative, right? Because I'm not them. They may feel like their reasons are right, you know, Uh, and and kudos to them if they do. For me, outside looking in, I have a different perspective. You know, I, I think that, you know, I mean, we're in a time right now where I think there is a generational shift in leadership happening. And I would rather see folks that have been a part of this political institution for a very long time. I would rather see them, you know, lift up other younger leaders to move into the space of leadership, leading the city.
1: You know, because so there was a, a photo, I'm sure you know where I'm going here, of you with the group of people, including former mayor Kasim Reed. And the prevailing conversation in the city was that Kasim Reed was grooming you to run for mayor. So did Kasim Reed ask you to run for mayor?
0: He suggested I run for mayor.
1: So why do you think he did that?
0: Um, He said that he thought um, that I would make a great mayor and, you know, and, we just had very candid conversations about my belief system and how I see the world and how I see Atlanta and he formed his opinion based on that. I mean, I think Kasim's a, 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 great guy. Uh, we've had some amazing conversations. Um, I think he's an incredible leader and, um, no one can deny the fact that he got shit done when he was mayor of this city. Now, People can harp
1: on. In the same breath, you've also said Black leadership in this city has failed Black people. Absolutely. And I've told him that. We he And
0: that's what I can appreciate about him, right? We've had those conversations. Very, I'm a very real person. So, like, you know, if I have an issue, I, you could be Obama. And I'm going to tell you what my issue is with you. And we can have a very respectable conversation and talk through it. And we did. When when he and I talked, I told him all of my issues with some of the things that he did as mayor of this city. He agreed with some. He agreed with me on some things, and he disagreed with me on some things. Um, but we had a respectable conversation, and we left out of there, out of that, out of those meetings, with I believe a respect for each other. Um, which has carried over in this race. I mean, folks don't know, um, but when Cop City's vote was happening, I was moving council to bring forth an amendment that would change the effective date on the legislation to January 4th to allow for a new council and administration to take part in the decision of authorizing this lease. I called Kasim, you know, as someone who's been the former mayor of this city and who actually answers my calls. I called him and I said, hey, what do you think about this idea? Not as a mayoral candidate. Not just, as
1: my opponent. Just no, as-
0: just as a friend, as a as as someone that has been in this seat that has done, you know, that's had to make very tough decisions with regards to the city of Atlanta. What do you think about this? And he supported it. He thought it was a sound idea and he supported it. Council didn't support it when I brought it forth and it, it failed uh, 10 to four. But, you know, so we have that relationship where I can pick up the phone and call him. And I believe that if it ended up with Kasim Reed and myself in the runoff, We would run our race with that same respect for each other. And I can appreciate that. And I can appreciate a person like that. What I can't appreciate are individuals that, um, you know, uh, smile in your face and- and Cut you behind your back? Absolutely. I'm the type of person, if you're going to cut me, cut me. At least I know you cutting me. And 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 we go There's a
1: famous quote from one of the, the previous uh mayoral cycle. Keisha Lance Bottom, all the candidates were asked, How do you differ from Kasim Reed? Keisha Lancebottom said, I'll smile when I cut you. Oh wow. Yeah. So in closing, that's serious.
0: There's one that gave this- me this. You know what I just <laughs> thought about when you just said that? A thin line between, between love, love and hate. hate. Like don't piss off black women. <laughs>
1: That's, I'm thinking like, damn, huh? It's interesting. So I think it's safe to say that you've got some ideas that folks haven't heard from the establishment candidates. Um, But there's one thing looming over you that everyone's talking about. And that is, if you're elected mayor, are you going to go to jail because you're under indictment? Why should people take a gamble on you?
0: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, Channel 2 is is airing an interview today on a discussion that I had on Twitter, right? And I wrote on Twitter, I was speaking about the hypocrisy in our society, how we say folks that are, are, are involved in our criminal legal system, because I don't call it a justice system, that you're innocent until proven guilty, yet we have a process like an indictment, right? That you have a prosecutor that presents evidence before a grand jury, right? That's one-sided. You don't hear a defense. You don't hear arguments from the other side, and they're left to make a decision. And that decision has an impact on public opinion it has an impact on you know folks crucifying you yet we live in this society that says I'm innocent until I have my day in court and am found guilty That I have a problem with that and I even mentioned this to Governor Kemp When I was indicted, I said, We've got to change this system. This can't be, this can't continue to be a one sided system where you have prosecutors that their job is to put you in jail, to prosecute you and find you guilty, not to understand what transpired to lead to the circumstances and events that took place. They don't care about that. It is To prosecute you and put you away. And it's it's very interesting that all of this happened at the height of me being in the social justice movement, just brought little baby out into the movement, just had done a concert with him, and weeks later, I was indicted, right? And this is not new for me. When I ran for city council, they took me to court for a whole week trying to overturn my election while I was in the runoff, while my opponent was out campaigning every day. It was the first time I ever been to court where I had to testify on a testifying stand. Never had I experienced that before entering into the world of politics.
1: So- So you think this is politically
0: motivated? Absolutely. 100%. So
1: the question remains, why should Atlantans take a gamble on you when there's a possibility you could be in jail- as mayor.
0: Well, I, I'm not going to jail, period. I said there's a
1: possibility.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, well I'm, I'm removing your possibility, <laughs> and I'm making it very clear I'm not going to jail. But I would not waste my time. I would not waste taxpayer dollars. I will not put residents in a position and run for mayor if I did not believe I was innocent and would be vindicated of all of these charges. So because, you're asking
1: the folks, you're asking the public to just trust you on that?
0: Absolutely. Trust me as you've always trusted me. I've always stood by the people. And that's why when this indictment happened, thousands of people flooded social media and talked about how this was, you know, you know, a, a terrible thing that was happening and I was being targeted and attacked. Now, I'm not able to speak to the specifics of the case because of federal ethics rules, but I, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I have a very strong faith in God. And I mean, I've been through far worse than an indictment in my life. So this, you know, I, I you know, I don't this mean to dismiss it, but well, dust on the shoulder. Yeah, to keep and going. I'm going to continue to move forward. And I am polling in a way where folks didn't even think I would be able to poll with an indictment. And that's because you have to- polls don't matter. They don't, but let me just say this. It's interesting. We are moving into an environment where I believe folks are no longer looking for perfect politicians. They want folks that have experienced things because if you experience something, then they, under, then they can relate to you and they believe you relate to them and their issues. Too many times in government, we've perpetuated this idea of a perfect politician. And then the moment something bad happens, we're the first ones to crucify them and talk about how terrible they are and, and you know rip them apart in the public sphere. That Now, folks, and and, and maybe, you know, you can blame this on Trump, but a lot changed with his presidency. I mean, he brought to the forefront a lot of issues that we were too afraid to talk about before, like racism, right? Where folks would smile in your face and call you a nigger behind your back, right? Now, they're going to call you a nigger in your face and you have an opportunity to address it, right? And you have an opportunity to, you know, figure it out, right? Like to have conversations, which we are having as a country, you know, from race to police brutality and to other issues, these are conversations we are having now that I think have been, that are are contributing factor to the fact that you have someone like him that, you know, said certain things that incited certain feelings and emotions and and opinions, and it caused the world to have a conversation we have been avoiding for a very long time. So the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. Atlanta, we've got to do something different. We cannot continue to elect the same kind of leadership in this city that has left behind so many residents. I represent communities that have lived in generational poverty for over 40 years in this city. And it's not just black poor people. There is an issue where folks continue to be left behind. Working middle-class folks, black, white, Asian, Latinx in this city that are struggling to survive every day, having to choose between putting food on their table or paying their rent. We've got to do something different. We need leadership capable of building bridges, bringing folks along on a journey that will never leave another Atlantan behind. Vote for me, Antonio Brown, and I will create an inclusive and thriving ecosystem where we provide residents with the resources, the wraparound services that they need so that they can move their lives forward. Thank you, Sawa, for this opportunity, and I appreciate you. What's up everybody? I'm Antonio Brown and I want to know where the party at.